would, take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. There are those four Gospels that begin the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew is the first one. And uh, we're going to look at the very last verses in, in Matthew 28. We're going to get around to those in, in just a moment uh, as we kind of lead up. And, and the verses will be on the screen, and, but we'd also love for you anytime that you're here to open up your Bible, to, to take out your, your phone or your tablet or whatever you have to be able to access God's Word uh, right there in front of you as we, as we look into it. Last week, as we began to unpack what it means to be a church. What does it look like to be a church where we want to proclaim and display Jesus? And we want to do that supremely. Jesus is greater than everything else. We want to do it fully. Jesus impacts every area of our lives. And then we want to do it widely. If, if Jesus really is that great, and he really does transform our lives in that way, then we're going to go out and tell people about it. And so last week we did supremely, this week we're going to do widely and then ne- or fully, and then next week as we begin to move into Acts, we're going to move and, and begin to do uh, widely. As you came in, you got a worship guide, hopefully, uh, or a bulletin, however you like to refer to it, and on the back of that are some notes, uh, some ideas that you can use to follow along as we go through our time this morning. So last week, as we were talking about the fact that Jesus is supreme, that he is worthy of our worship, that he is greater than all else, he has done for us what we can never do for ourselves, that no one else could do for us, that he is worthy of worship. One of the realities that we talked about is that we are worshipers. Here's something I would love for you to do. If you go home and you take a three-by-five card... You may want to make yourself a a certificate that goes on the wall. You may want to make something that goes on your desk at work. Whatever it looks like for you. I would love for you to make something that simply says, I am a worshiper, dot, 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 and then fill in whatever else you do in life. I'm a worshiper who is a mom, who is a student who is a dad, who is a business owner, who is a teacher, who is retired. I am a worshiper who, and then fill it in. Because what we have to realize is that our main identity in life, our main occupation in life is to be a worshiper. We were made to worship. And so many times we turn that around and we become, I'm a mom who worships. Or even worse, I'm a dad who goes to worship, as if worship is an event or or something that you attend once in a while. And so we get this identity that I'm mom, I'm student, I'm teacher, I'm retired, I'm business owner, who happens to worship, when in the reality, when we look at God's word and we think about who Jesus is, worshiper is our identity. That is our occupation. And then as a worshiper, we do those other things. And being a worshiper of Jesus impacts how I act as a wife, how I act as a husband, how I act as a teacher, how I act as a business owner, how I act when I'm retired. Worshiping impacts those things. But then there are people who are very practical and who are not afraid to talk back in in church, and they say things like, yeah, but what does a worshiper really do? 
And what we want to think about this morning is, what does a worshiper really do? What does it mean to worship? Because worship certainly doesn't mean that you sing all the time, though I know some of you live in a world where a song is always in your mind. You know, something happens in your life and there's immediately a song that, that comes to mind. I don't live in that world. I don't even understand that world. But I know that some of you do live in that, in that world. Being a worshiper does not necessarily mean that you sing all the time. It doesn't mean that you attend church every day. It doesn't mean that you do what, some of these things. Being a worshiper means very simply that you live as a fully devoted follower of Jesus. As we think about what it means to be a church, we begin by worshiping Jesus supremely. And the way that we do that is we live fully for Him every day. The fancy word here is disciple. Disciple. A disciple is someone who follows. Hopefully this morning, as we've gone through our time of music, as we worship through music, you've heard that word follow. A disciple is someone who follows. A disciple is someone who learns. A disciple is someone whose life is transformed as they follow after Jesus. And so what we want to do as a church is we want to say we are going to proclaim with our words, we are going to proclaim Jesus fully. We want to study the Bible. We want to know who Jesus is, and then we want to speak about that. But we're just not going to proclaim Jesus fully. We're going to display him fully. Meaning, everything that we say that is true about the Bible, we want to see that reflected in our lives. Parents, this is so important when we think about what does it mean to be parents. Sometimes people say, I don't want to go down to that church because they're hypocritical. Or that church, you know, those churches, they're just full of hypocrites. Let's never forget that for most people, not all people, but for most people, hypocrisy begins in the home, not at church. Hypocrisy begins when they hear mom or dad say, we're going to go down to church, or they hear mom and dad talk about something spiritual, and then they don't see that reflected in the home. Hypocrisy usually does not begin with what we see at church. It begins with what we see at home. And so as parents, we have to think about what does it look like not just to talk to my kids about Jesus, but for them to see that reflected in our home. The reasons that this happens are are varied. There are all kinds of reasons hypocrisy happens in the home. A lot of times, it's very simply that in your home, you did not see a fully devoted follower of Jesus modeled for you. We even have a, we're coming off of generations where dads especially worked so hard for their families, to provide for their families, but there was oftentimes very little emotional connection with children. I know we're generalizing here, but there was very little emotional connection with the family, and oftentimes your faith was something that was very private to you. It wasn't something that you talked about or you displayed a lot in the home. But we live in a world where kids are constantly watching what their parents do. They hear their parents say one thing, and they watch their parents do another thing, and it creates all this confusion about what it means to be a worshiper. They hear moms say, we're going to go to church and worship, and then they come home and they see something entirely different. What we want to do is we want to equip parents 
And we want to challenge families that we are going to proclaim Jesus fully. We want to know all of who Jesus is and what the Bible teaches us. And then we want to be a church that is constantly living that out in every area of our lives. And Matthew 28 is one of those passages that helps with this. Let's look at Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28 is one of those... Uh, I'll tell you what, let's read it and then I'll make the comments about it. It's better just to jump right into the, to the text. We're going to start in verse 16. Matthew 28, 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Hey, can you guys jump the PowerPoint ahead in one slide so we got the, the verses there? Thanks. The eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, some verses in the Bible are unique because they, they take on names or, or titles. These verses right here, especially verses 18 through 20, are what is known as the Great Commission. You may have grown up in church. You may have heard that phrase. You might even have it in, in bold type as kind of a heading for these verses. It's called the Great Commission. These are some of the very last words that Jesus spoke to his followers. A commission is a command, but it's a very particular command in the sense that you are giving a duty. You are telling your followers, I'm giving you this command, and it is a duty. It's a function that I expect you to carry out. And if you think about these words at the very end of Jesus' life, the very end of the time, actually that's a kind of a confusing way to say it, Jesus has experienced the crucifixion at this point in, in Matthew. He's, he's died, and he's risen again. He's, coming back, he's come back to life that we celebrate at Easter. And this is just before he ascends back into heaven. It, it is great preparation for the fact that we're going to study the book of Acts throughout the summer. And we're going to see this story played out in the book of Acts. But these are some of the very last words that Jesus gives his disciples. And if these are these very last words, it should make sense to us that we want to pay attention to them. That there is something here that we need to hear about what it means to follow Jesus. What it means to worship him. Look how it starts in verse 16, though. It's very unique. The eleven disciples, remember Judas... Iscariot, he's off the scene now. He's going to get replaced when we get to the book of Acts. So there are only 11 disciples. They went up to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. This is an important phrase, uh, because what's going on here is not sleepwalking. It's not brainwashing. This is real life happening. Uh, if the Bible was something that was very much made up or, or made to make the disciples of Jesus look good, you're probably not going to mention that some doubted, just as Jesus has been uh, raised from the dead. But it says some that doubted. If you are here and you have doubts about who Jesus is, or you have doubts about why do people make such a big deal about church and about religion, you're in good company. 
Because these people have been right there in the days following Jesus' resurrection. It says that some of them were still doubting. They're still trying to make sense of what does it mean to worship Jesus. So when they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So when we say that we worship Jesus supremely, it's based on this idea right here. That he has all authority. There, there is nothing and no one who is above and greater than Jesus. And so he says, I have all authority. Verse 19, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. All right, let's slow down and kind of break those verses out. Now, in our English translations... At the beginning of verse 19, here comes your English grammar for this morning. I know so many of you anticipate this moment in the, in the sermon, okay? So here comes our English grammar moment for, for the sermon. There are th- words in English called imperatives. Imperatives are types of verbs that give commands. So if you're a parent, you understand imperatives. You give commands, not suggestions. I'm commanding you to go and do these things. At the beginning of verse 19, it says, Therefore, go and make disciples. It sounds very much in English like there are two imperatives here. Go and make disciples. When we get back to what we would call the original language, the Greek language that the New Testament was written in, there is actually only one imperative only one main command in these verses, and it's the command to make disciples. Going is more of a support word. Make disciples is the main command. It is the main imperative. It is the thing Jesus says, this is what your lives will be about if you choose to worship me, if you choose to follow me. Going just means that you can't make disciples by standing right here, staying right where you are. And we all need that reminder. We're not going to make disciples by just staying right here. It's something that happens when we go. And we'll talk about that more next week. How do you make disciples? It says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So one of the ways that we make disciples is we lead someone to say, I'm going to identify my life with Jesus. I believe he is worthy of worship. And as we see happen behind us in the baptistry, when someone is baptized, they're saying, I am identifying with Jesus. I believe that he is Savior and Lord. But look here, it says, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Here's what I want us to remember about baptism. Baptism always has content. It's not just a ritual that we go through. It matters what we believe as we're coming to that point of baptism. And it says, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Here's something very interesting. In the early years of the church, so in those first, especially decades and centuries of the church, a lot of the historical evidence that we have says that when someone followed Jesus and they were baptized, they were actually put in the water three times. They were asked a question, do you believe in God the Father, the creator of all things? And then the person was put in the water. Do you believe in Jesus, the Son, 
who died to pay the price for your sins. Put in the water again. Do you believe in God the Holy Spirit who gives you new life and who lives within you to empower you to follow Jesus? Put in the water again. I'm so tempted to restart that practice, you know, in the, uh, in the 21st century. I, a lot of the times the reason we don't do that is we just don't want to freak people out. You know, one time under the water is usually about the maximum for, for most people. And so we just, we lump it together and we say, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. When that person is baptized, they're saying, we believe that God created all things. We believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world. We believe that the Holy Spirit is the one who gives us new life and who empowers our lives. And so we don't dunk them three times. We just repeat that, that phrase. But we want to know what we're doing when we make disciples. But it says we baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then look at verse 20. It says, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Now, I have, to, I have to tell you, most of my life, including Bible college, including most of my adult life, I learned those words incorrectly. In other words, I memorized the verse incorrectly. I memorized it to say that we baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and we teach them everything that Jesus commanded. Did you hear what I left out? Teach them to obey I memorized it, teach them everything I commanded you. There is a big difference between teaching something to someone and teaching them to actually do it. Now this year, I've been coaching t-ball. Coaching t-ball is a good way to practice your Christianity, to practice your sanctification. Um, My shoe's untied. I got a pee. Can I go talk to my mom? He hit me. Where do I run? I want to play first base. And you're just like, oh, who's on first? What's on second? I don't know who's on third. And, and you just, it's so hard. And so I would tell them, go to second base. Go, go play second base. And the little kid runs out there with their glove. And what do they do? They stand on second base because they're going to, you said go play second base. And I say, no, no, no. Second base is between first base and second base. And then they just stare at you. And then they get at the, on the base, and you say, run to second base. And they say, well, do you mean the, the, like the little white bag, or do you mean the fielding position? And so if you say words to a five-year-old t-ball player, but you don't show them what you mean, they're not going to get it. Guess what? When you say words to most adults, but you don't show them what you mean, they're not going to get it. The way that we learn is not just being lectured to. We're not aiming to win Bible trivia. We're teaching, we're reading the Bible, we're learning about Jesus with the goal that we will actually go and do it. That it will impact our lives. That we will experience the teachings of Jesus, we'll study the Bible, and then we'll actually see results come from that. Now this idea shows up in another place in Scripture. I want, to, I want you to see this. 2 Timothy chapter 3. I think we've got the verses. Yeah, we do. Sorry about the smaller print there. We're trying to fit it on one one slide. 2 Timothy chapter 3. I want to read these verses to you. Listen for that same idea. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, 
for training in righteousness so that the man of God, not just man as in male gender, but all people who follow God, may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, there's an important theological concept, maybe, maybe even a new phrase that you haven't heard, depending on how much time you've spent um, in church. There's a phrase going on here in this verse, and it's called the inspiration of Scripture. Inspiration comes from that phrase there that says, God breathed. That Scripture is from God, and it's given power by God. So all Scripture is God breathed. Some translations will say all Scripture is inspired by God. Uh, the fact that God is working through Scripture. If you've spent much time in church, inspiration equals truth. In other words, let me unpack this. Inspiration of Scripture means that all Scripture is true. And hear me saying loud and clear that I believe that. I am on track with that. That is very much the case. But oftentimes what we've done in church is we've stopped right there. And we said that inspiration, all scripture is from God, means that it's true. But we forgot to read the rest of the verses here. The reason it's true is that it will impact our lives. It will equip us for what? For every good work. So the scripture being true, the purpose of that is so that it will impact our lives. Back in the 1960s, 70s, early 80s, there was a thing going on in church called the Battle for the Bible. Uh, and it was especially prominent in some respects in the Southern Baptist Church that our churches are part of. And there were these major fights. I hate to say it that way, but there were these major arguments and battles going on about whether or not Scripture really was true. And so you had books written, you had conventions, you had one side arguing with the other. Hold your... Surprise! There were splits that happened in churches. I know that's, that's your shocked face right there. But uh, there were all these debates and struggles and, and things going on. And, and it was all over about whether or not the Bible is true. Our church, part of the Southern Baptist Convention, came out very clearly on the side that, yes, all Scripture is true. To say it's inspired means that it's true. But here's the world we live in. And hear me clearly on this. In the 20th century, the battle was largely over whether or not Scripture is true. In the 21st century, the battle will likely be over whether or not Scripture matters. Hear me out on that. In the 20th century, the battle was over whether or not Scripture is true. In the world we live in today... The battle that's happening is whether or not Scripture matters, whether it makes any impact in our lives. Because let's be be frank, the world around us is not particularly impressed by our arguments, our arguing with one another about whether or not this book is true. And the world around us is especially not impressed when we say the Bible is true and then it has no impact in our lives. That says very clearly to someone in 2014, you don't know what you're talking about. That book really doesn't matter to you. We can win Bible trivia all day long. We can thump our Bibles all day long. But until it truly sinks into our lives and transforms our life, nobody is going to care. 
And we have to come back to that point that we say we are going to worship Jesus and then we are going to live fully for him. We are going to give ourselves fully for him. We are going to be fully devoted followers of Jesus. Now here's the way we've tried to work that out at First Baptist Church. We have a chart. And this chart is based on our mission statement that we exist to proclaim and display Jesus. Is that chart on a on a slide, maybe? Yes. I worked so hard on that chart. You need to see it. So uh, you can see there's two columns. One column is proclaim what we do with our mouths. One column is display what we do with our lives. Then there are three rows. Supremely, that's when we worship and we say Jesus is greater than all else. Fully, that's what we're talking about today. It's being a disciple. Widely means that if this message really is what I'm saying it is, We've got to go and tell people about it, and we'll get into that. Fully, though, means that we're going to know the Bible. We want to know God's Word, but we don't just want to know it. We want to be able to teach it. We want to be able to speak about it to other people. And then if we do know it, you move over to the right column, we've got to be able to live it out. We've got to be able to model it for other people. And so it does no good if we know God's word, but we're not living it out and modeling it for others. And so this is what we want to be about as a church. Now, it's Mother's Day. What does this mean for moms? What does it mean for a mom to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus? Sometimes the life of a mom can be, I don't even know it's the right word, but mundane. The idea that some of the things that you do over and over and over again, you pick up the Cheerios, the Cheerios fall back out. You pick up the Cheerios, they fall back out. You do laundry, and just as the last load of laundry comes out, you realize there's a huge pile over here. And it's not the clean, dry pile, it's the dirty pile. But I just did laundry. How did that happen? It just, some... Family stopped by my house and dropped off their laundry. How does that happen? What happens in the mundane realities of life? Here's what we have to be so careful about when it comes to this idea of moms and motherhood. The idea that sometimes moms look around at the world, they look at the media, and there's all this pressure to be super mom. There's all this pressure to be a Hallmark card. There's all this pressure that everything has to be great. My kids have to go to all the right activities. My family has to look great. I've got to hold myself together somehow. We've got to be great. And what it means to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus is that we don't always live for those peak moments. Sometimes it just means that day after day, hour after hour, we seek to live for the Lord. I'm so thankful for a mom and for female examples in my life who said, we're going to live for Jesus every day, not just those peak moments, not just those great moments. If you're here as a mom and you are overwhelmed with the mundane realities of life, remember the impact that comes from living for Jesus every day in the small things. Here's the other thing. What does it mean if you're a mom here and you're in heartache? Or you're a mom here and life is not going well? 
or you're here and you're saying, yeah, I've always wanted to be included in Mother's Day, and that's just never been the reality for my life. Remember that the Bible is not a Hallmark card, and that Jesus is not in the business of giving simple, cheesy answers. Jesus doesn't say, I'll meet you on the other side of your miscarriage, or I'll meet you on the other side of your divorce, or when your kid comes back around, then I'll come back into your life. Remember that the story of Christianity is that Jesus enters our darkness. Jesus has entered our pain, and he says, I will walk with you through that. And sometimes to know him most fully We have to know him in those darkest moments, in those hard moments. And so if this is a year where mom is not here with you maybe for the first time, or this is a year where being a mom has been very deep and it's been very dark, remember that being a fully devoted follower of Jesus means that you are walking with Jesus through those times. He's not going to meet you on the other side. He's walking right there with you. And how about if you're an empty nest mom? Maybe you're thinking, my new title is grandma, (laughs) or great-grandma, or aunt, or something like that. Maybe you're an empty nest. What, What does that look like? I would just remind you that you are still passing on a heritage to your family. And let that heritage be a life lived fully for Jesus. Grandparents, I don't I don't know if you know this, but grandparents have incredible influence in their grandkids' lives. My parents have convinced our kids that fruit snacks are an actual fruit. You have influence. I promise. You can make an impact. But don't let that impact be a cross up on the wall of your house. Let that impact be a life lived fully for Jesus, that when you pass on that heritage of faith, Those who come behind you will remember that you live for Jesus every day. All right, action steps. Things that we can do as fully devoted followers of Jesus. The first is, you may may need this morning to commit to join a Bible study group. Because in order to know Jesus fully, to learn the Bible, to get it fully into your life so you live it out... We need to be in a place where we're actually learning the Bible. Here's an incredible statistic. I know statistics are a good time to tune out in a, in a time like this, but, but listen to this. After five years, okay, think of us here right now. After five years, research has shown that 83% of people who attend a worship service and a Bible study will remain connected with the church, okay? So if you're here and you attend a worship service and a Bible study, there's an 83% chance that you will stay connected with church. If you are here and you just do worship service, or you're not connected in any type of Bible study, after five years, there's a 16% chance that you will still be connected to church. If you're involved in a a Bible study and worship, 83% that you'll still be connected. If you're not involved in a Bible study group, 16% chance that you will still be connected after five years. And you say, well, you're just trying to keep your church in business. No, no, no. Exactly the opposite. We want more than anything 
to see your life and your family transformed by the power of Jesus. And that happens as we know him, as we get ourselves involved in studying the Bible with other believers. You may need to make a commitment that, hey, I'm going to be a part of a Bible study group. That could mean 9.15 on Sunday morning. That could mean 6 o'clock on Sunday evening. That could mean at somebody's house during the week. That could mean at your workplace during lunch during the week. It doesn't say what Bible study group. It just means that you're meeting with a group of people to study God's Word. Here's the second action step. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say that I, I can't assure you that anyone has ever said this in church, okay? The thing that you may need to do this morning is stop attending a Bible study group. Why would a preacher say that? Because there may be a chance that your whole life is driven by just attending Bible study groups. You go to this Bible study, and that Bible study, and this Bible study group, and this Bible study group, and you're taking in, taking in, taking in, but you're not giving it back out. You're not teaching others. You're not living it out. You're not putting it in front of other people. And so the most spiritual thing that you could do this morning is stop going to one of your Bible study groups. And please don't fire me this week. Maybe, like, next week, but uh, not this week. This idea that if we're really taking in God's Word, if we're really knowing God's Word fully, we're going to teach that to others. And so you may need to give up a Bible study group so that you can teach another group. You say, I'm not a great teacher. You don't have to be a great teacher. You just have to tell someone else, this is what I saw in the Bible. This is what God's teaching me. And then you live it out in front of other people. You may need to stop attending a Bible study group so that you can invite some people that you don't know into your house to watch you live out your faith. It's one thing to go to somebody's Sunday school class and hear them talk. It's another thing to see what they do when their kid turns the green beans into into torpedoes. You know, when you're in somebody's dining room and the kid starts chunking green beans, that's when their faith really shows up. It's not what they say in their Sunday school class. We need to see one another live out the faith. We need to see what impact does this make in our lives. All right, let's wrap this up. What we're talking about is that when we worship Jesus, Jesus transforms our lives. Worship him as supreme. Follow him fully. This morning, are you worshiping Jesus? Is he worthy of your worship? Are you giving your life to him? If you are, are you coming to a point that you follow him fully? that you're immersed in his word, that you're being around his people, that you're growing in your faith. And if you're doing that, are you investing your life in someone else? Are you pouring out, living out what God is doing in your life? We're gonna, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to sing a song, guess what, about following Jesus. And as we have that response time, there are going to be people down here at the front to pray with you, If you're a mom and you just need someone to pray with you, my wife is here and she would be honored to pray with you. If you're here and you say, I'm not following Jesus fully and I need to do that, come now and we will pray with you.